We're in the second part of a series we began last week. And, and there's an underlying theme of this book of First Thessalonians. And as we discover these themes, what we see is a very young, immature church that is living out exactly what it is that God wants to do in their hearts and in their lives. And as a result of that, they are described as a model church. Now, I would love for Southwest Baptist Church to be a model church where you go, that's exactly what church is supposed to look like. But I'll, I'll admit, I don't think we're there yet. I think we, we have some growing to do, and we have some, some molding and shaping. And so therefore, what we do as a church, rather than sitting back and going, we have it all together, our bills are paid, we're comfortable, everything's good, the air conditioning thankfully is working, is that we look at the Word of God and say, what does the Bible teach us to how we can apply this to our lives to be the church and to be the people that God has created us to be? And when we discover things in God's Word, we always have a choice of how we respond. And when you discover in your own personal Bible reading and through devotion time and through church services and through encouragement from others, you discover truth in God's Word, it always demands a response. I don't believe that God says, here is truth. And then we're supposed to go, that's nice, and live exactly the same way that we were previously. We always demand a response. So therefore, when we see, when we ask the question, what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond, God? How are we to live in this world around us, both as individuals, but also as a church family? This model church in this area which is in modern day Greece but it's an area and region known as Macedonia and I know there's a country called Macedonia and in the Bible this is a region referred to as Macedonia which is in modern day Greece right now just to confuse it and in the northern part of Greece is a, a city and depending on how you pronounce it and I, this is how I pronounce it it's called Thessalonica you can go home and practice that it's a fun word to say Thessalonica and in this city, the Apostle Paul, along with some helpers, a man named Timothy and another man named Silas, came into the city as strangers. And in the course of three weeks, they taught the Word of God, they had conversations, they built relationships, and in three short weeks, they saw people come to know the Lord as their Savior, turn away from their sinfulness, begin meeting together as a local church, and then a local church was established, and then serious problems came. Persecution came in, in their lives. And we look at that, and we think, how did they go from being unbelievers to believers to living out the things that God had called them to do in such a short period of time and still suffer persecution? And then we refer to them as a model church. How and what did they do? What was God doing in their hearts, in their lives? So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to make some application. I'm also going to refer back to the book of Acts, chapter 16 and 17, which gives us the account of what was taking place here. This book of 1 Thessalonians 
is believed to be the first book written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. And as he wrote, what he would do is he would go around to various churches. And there's a a map on the screen of what's called his missionary journeys. And as he would travel around, he had several what they call missionary journeys. And if you have a Bible, a paper Bible, in the back of your Bible, there are probably going to be maps back there. And most likely you have the first, second, and third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Well, this is the second missionary journey. And as he traveled along, he had plans. He had things that he was going to do. And God changed them and brought them to the city of Thessalonica. And people came to know the Lord as their Savior. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Paul, Silvanus, or another way of saying Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope and of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And you received the word in much affliction. And here's a key phrase that I want you to get for the, this is an underlying foundation for the rest of today. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. These people in three short weeks of knowing Christ as the Savior, suffered persecution, and they did that with joy. Now, I don't know about you, but never in my life I've gone, thank you, God, this is so much fun. (laughs) I love persecution. May I please have more? But, and, and be careful what you pray for. We can discover that in the hard times, when bad things happen to good people, we can have joy even when our circumstances are dire. This model church, I'm going to build upon last week and last week's message. We had the thought of God and His calling, and this church here answered God's call. To use the analogy of a phone ringing, the phone is ringing. God was calling them to salvation. God was calling them to turn away from their old way of living. And they answered the call of God. And today we're going to build upon that. And not only did they answer the call of God, they also accepted God's plan for their life. And they said, we are going to live who God wants us to be. They had no idea what the future was going to hold. They had no idea that persecution and difficult times were going to come before them. All they knew was that there was a God that loved them, that had a purpose and plan for their life, and they were going to accept that plan and live out what God had called them to do. The beauty is, when we do that with God as a local church, but also as believers, the Bible says this church, this model church, experienced joy. Now, the beginning of 2024, that's exactly what I want. Now, I'm not claiming the year to be the, the year of joy because I have no idea. 2020, we had no idea what the future was going to hold. 2023, we had no idea what the future was going to hold. 2024, we have no idea. But how about we set a foundation and say, I'm going to live a year of joy this year because I'm going to answer the call of God and I'm going to 
accept his plan for my life. Now, this message here, I'm going to set a foundation, give you a little bit of background. I'm going to repeat a few things I said last week because we're setting a foundation, and then we're going to build upon it together. We have a principle for today. And every Sunday, we have a principle that we want to apply to our life. It's a very simple principle. It is, God has a plan for my life and church. Now, honestly, that is so easy to say. And none of you are probably surprised you are in church today. And therefore, being in church today, you think, we're going to talk about Jesus. Yes, we are. And it's not a surprise that God has a plan for your life and your church. But we need to be reminded of that constantly. We talk about joy. The result of accepting God's plan is that we live a life of joy. What it doesn't say is that it's a life of ease or happiness in every circumstance or riches or comfort or status or fame. It talks about joy, something that's deep within us. Now, with this missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, as he traveled around, I'll put that map back on the screen if you would, as as he traveled around, the Apostle Paul had some plans. He was close to the Lord. In the the cream area, right in the middle on on the map, you have what's modern-day Turkey, referred in the Bible in the book of Acts as Asia. And as he was traveling through there previously, he had some tremendous success in that area. Churches were established. People came to know Christ as their Savior. And the Apostle Paul says, I had success in the south. I want to go to the north. And I'm going to go to the north. This is what I'm going to do. And he had some really good godly plans. And along came a man named Silas and a man named Timothy. And they said, we're going to come with you. We're going to follow you. And then God began working in Paul's life and telling him something that none of us like to hear. It was the word no. Now we often think that if you're two years old, you don't like the word no. But as a 42-year-old, I don't like that word either. I don't like being told no. And that's exactly what Paul was told. In the book of Acts, chapter number 16, verses 9 and 10, God had told Paul, no, I don't want you to go to the north. And Paul's probably scratching his head going, what do you want me to do, God? And he says in verses 9 and 10, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, that's a key, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They had their plans. They had their desires. They had the things that they had set up in place. And probably Paul had talked about it for a long time. We're going to go to the north and we're going to lead people to Christ. They had plans. They had ambitions. And God changed their plans. And immediately they responded correctly to God's plan. But oftentimes we think, humanly speaking, That in order to discover joy, everything has to go smooth. I am following God's plan. And personally, I have seen in my own personal life when God has called me to various things, how God has orchestrated and God has opened up doors of opportunity and God has provided in ways far beyond anything of my personal expectation. But there's also times like we discover here when God opens up doors of opportunity that result in persecution. This morning I have three points for you. 
And we're going to do things a little bit backwards this morning. We're going to start from verse number 6, and then we're going to look at verse number 5, and then we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. So we're going to work backwards this morning, and we're going to start off with persecution, then go from to that to conviction, to that to salvation. Persecution. Suffering for doing right. Many of you have suffered a punishment or endured a punishment because you did wrong. You're not suffering for Jesus when you are punished for doing wrong. But this persecution is when you are doing exactly what it is that God has called you to do. And then things don't go the way that you plan them to go. They actually suffer. You suffer physically or emotionally, or even there's spiritual oppression around you. You're under persecution. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he went into Thessalonica and he began teaching and preaching there, it says in verses 5 and 6, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction or persecution with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now put you this in a little bit of a mindset. The Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas left modern day Turkey and they went across and took a ship over to Macedonia where God had called them to go. And the first place they went to was a place called Philippi. And in Philippi, they, they began preaching and teaching. People came to know Christ as a Savior. And then after that, they suffered persecution. They were put in prison. And they ended up praising God and seeing people come to know Christ as a Savior. In, in Acts 16, verses 22 and 24, it says, The crowd, this is in Philippi, after they've been preaching, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods now right there that's a simple little sentence beat them with rods imagine all the cries and ouches the bruises and the cuts in that little sentence there and when they had afflicted many blows upon them they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here they are. This is Paul and Silas were put into prison after being beaten. You imagine me, if I stub my toe, first of all, it's, uh, every time I stub my toe, because I'm suffering. And I tell my wife, and I hobble around, and, or you get a hangnail. They're horrible. And we have this times where we have things that, that hurt us. Imagine being Paul and Silas in prison. And I, I don't have the time to go into all the, what a Roman prison looks like. It would have been dark and, and a horrible situation. There's stocks and bonds. And you know, you know what they're doing? They end up singing praises to God. In the middle of the night, verse 25 teaches us they're singing praises to God while they're in prison suffering for Jesus. As a result of that, God miraculously brings an earthquake along. The prison doors are opened up. Their bonds and the stocks fall off. And then the, the prison guard rushes in and sees that. And he would be totally personally responsible for any prisoner that was released. So he actually says, I'm going to kill myself. They tell him, don't kill yourself. Don't hurt yourselves. And in verse number 30, this man who was a beater of Christians turns around and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And after that, they shared the gospel with him. He placed his trust upon Christ as his Savior. He, he was saved. He was baptized. His entire family was saved and baptized that, that night. And then, long story short, I'm going to give you homework at the end to read Acts 16 and 17 for homework this week. They were asked, please leave Philippi. Please get out of town. So they did. And they went about 120 kilometers away down to Thessalonica. Now, they've just followed God. God told them, leave where you had already been and you knew where you're going to be and go to where I want you to go. And the first place they go results in a beating and prison. That doesn't really tick all the boxes when I, when I say things that I want to do in 2024. But a revival took place in Philippi. And we have the book in the Bible called Philippians which has a theme of joy all the way through that book. And then when we come in here, we, we see what the next thing that happens is they go into Thessalonica as new people. And Acts 17 tells us, and I'm just scratching the surface of the story in verses 5 and 6, but the Jews were jealous. After three weeks of preaching, people came, you know, Christ is the Savior. A revival took place in Thessalonica. And the next thing that happens the Jews or the religious people were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, who was a new Christian, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That right there, that little phrase, is what we should be living out as a church. We want to be a church that turns the world upside down in this community. But these brand new Christians, Jason and these other new Christians, were brought before the magistrates. A riot was taking place. These brand new Christians were suffering because they were now Christians. They were suffering for doing what was right. But through that, the Apostle Paul said that they had joy in their affliction. Personally, I know what it says and I can explain it. But have you ever suffered for doing the right thing? Have you ever done the, what was right and you've discovered that actually you're being persecuted, not because you're going with a status quo like everyone else, but because you are standing up and saying, I'm going to do what is right. God has called me to do something that is right. And you're actually suffering as a result. And you may be in that position right now where you're thinking at work, why, God, did I ever open my mouth? Why would I ever take the stand to do what is right? In the world around us, we have some people in our church that are going to be baptized next Sunday. And, and I, I don't mean, wish any judgment upon you at all. But at the same time is, is that you try to tell the unbelieving world you're going to stand up and, and stand up as a Christian and say, I know Christ is my Savior and I'm not embarrassed about it. That's setting us up for persecution being persecuted for doing what we're called to do, doing what is right. So we have, first of all, persecution, suffering for doing what is right. Secondly is conviction. That is the gospel. It says in that passage, because our gospel came to you in verse number five, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full 
Conviction. That word conviction and the word gospel. I'm going to quickly define those two words. The word gospel is a word that we use often in this church. Is the word that means literally the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus' death his burial, and his resurrection. And the word conviction, we often think of as a courtroom going, you are guilty or you're convicted. This is a word that actually means, it means that I'm being convinced of the truth. I have a conviction in my heart that I know what is true, and therefore I'm going to live differently as a result. So this, this passage says, when the good news of Jesus Christ came along, that it came in word and in power and in the Holy Spirit, they were convinced of what was true, and then they lived differently as a result. Because of that, they were able to endure persecution with joy. But they couldn't do that in their own strength. And they couldn't do it outside of the gospel and outside of the conviction and the work of the God in their life. There's a quote by a man named Walter Martin who wrote a book that was published in 1965 uh, called The Kingdom of the Cults. And it says this, Truth by definition is exclusive. If truth were all-inclusive, nothing would be false. Now, just put yourself in this position. Next week, I'm actually going to talk about this more specifically, of the change that took place in this, these young believers' lives and the things that they turned away from. But you imagine, three weeks earlier, this whole church, every single person in this church was going a particular direction. They had beliefs and things that they had said, I've always believed that, dot, dot, dot. I've always known this to be true. And they're going down a certain direction. And then, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they discover something that is true. And they're never the same ever again. God works in their heart. And they know what is true. There's no way they can continue to go the, the wrong way any longer. They had to make a change. And then they were going to go the right way. In the book of uh, 1 John, chapter number 5, the man named John wrote the book of 1 John, funny enough. And he's an old man at this time, like a grandfather writing to his grandchildren. And he's writing to them and he says, my little children. And he wants them to know what is true. And he makes a very exclusive statement in chapter number 5, verses 12 and 13. And he says, whoever has the son. Now, I'm going to be a little bit bold here. You put your name in there. My name's Michael. If Michael has the son... You put your name in where it says whoever. Whoever has the Son has life. And here's the, here's the bold statement John makes. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Then he talks about his motivation. He's not a grumpy old man. He's a man that's tender-hearted. And he says, I want you to know what is true. I want you to discover and have a conviction of what is true. And it says... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, and here's the key word, know that you have eternal life. This gospel came to this brand new church in three different ways, in three different areas. First of all, in verse number five, it says, because our gospel came to you not only in word. So first of all, it came in word. Recently, I had a conversation with a person that's addicted to drugs. It's easy to say, you're addicted to drugs? Stop doing drugs. Isn't that just so easy? Easy advice. 
if you just stop doing drugs and stop smoking and stop drinking, stop hanging out with these people, stop, 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 then you'll have no problems. Have you discovered that's really, really difficult or impossible? And it's easy to look on the outside and go, just stop doing that. Well, the Apostle Paul, when they came to this church, he didn't say, stop worshiping idols, stop living in debauchery. He shared the gospel with them and let God do the changing. Should they, did they need to change? Absolutely. Who was going to do the changing? It is God. And in Acts chapter 16, this is going back to that man who was in Philippi, the, the Philippian jailer. And when he heard the praises and he was about to hurt himself, and it says in verse 30, it says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, they could have said, stop being Christians. Stop being mean. Stop being such a grumpy guy. And they could have said all that. But what did they actually tell this jailer when he cries out and says, what do I need to do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And here's the key. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all those who were in his house. They didn't share their opinion. They didn't show their bruises and go, stop hurting me. They said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me share, you, share the word of God with you. That's how people are going to be changed. It's not by telling them to stop doing bad things. It's not by giving people a list of rules to follow. It's by introducing them to Jesus Christ and the relationship we have with the creator of the world. And the second point there is the word power. This is something that is powerful. And on the screen, I have an upside down picture of an airplane. Now, my wife, who's with the children right now playing outside, the reason why she likes to do water fun days is because she gets a hose and all your bratty kids who annoy her all the time, she gets to spray. And so she all, uh, this afternoon, she's been so relaxed. And my wife appears to be a really nice lady. But, uh, but in reality, she likes to do things that mess with me, like give me gifts that say, here is a flight. You get to go on an aerobatic flight. And then she goes, here's a big breakfast. She does things for my enjoyment, but also I think for her enjoyment too. And uh, several years ago, I had the chance to go on, on, a, on an aerobatic flight uh, up in, in Perth. And it was, honestly, it was so much fun. And then the pilot comes out, and without exaggeration, he looked like he was 17 years old. He was so young. He promised me that he was experienced. And he asked me, what sort of flight do you want? I said, I don't know. And I was cautious, because you don't want to be false bravado. And then they go, I'm going to make you throw up. And so... I said, just make this fun for you. I said, you do this all the time. Make this a fun flight for you. And we did. We went upside down and all back and forth. One of the things he let me do when we were taking off was to hold on to the controls and to go and pull back. And I thought, I'm flying. I can do this. And you pull back on the controls just ever so slightly. And then we, we went around and then we did all the aerobatic things. Now, here's the illustration and here's the, the, the point behind that. The scripture says there that the gospel came into you not only in word, but also in power. The most dangerous thing I could have done was halfway through that flight, not trust the instructor and to try to take over and to say, let me fly the plane right now. That would have been the most dangerous thing. You would have seen me on the news. It would have been 
devastating and probably to my death if I would have said, let me take the controls and fly right now. Because in the upside down and the back and forth and the loop the loop of this world, we need to trust the one who is in control and has all the power. In fact, to use that illustration, God, the instructor and creator of our lives. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, But I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We have conviction of truth. And it's whenever we have conviction of what is true, we have conviction of the word, we have conviction that it's powerful, but it's always a work of the Holy Spirit. That verse in verse 5 says, it came to you in the gospel in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The Holy Spirit, any time and every time that you discover truth in the Bible, it's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm going to say that again for effect. Any time and every time that you discover truth in the Bible, it is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When Jesus was leaving his disciples and he was about to go to the cross and die for our sins, he had told his disciples, I'm going to leave you, but it's a good thing I'm going to leave you because if I leave you, God's going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to reveal all truth to you. And it says in, in John chapter 14, verses 18 and also in verse 26, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, but the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And here's the key. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The creator and sustainer of the universe knows who you are and he loves us and cares for us enough to say, I'm going to send myself to tell you what is true. We have people that read Genesis chapter 1, which is the very beginning of the Bible that lays out the creation of the world. And they read and go, that is crazy. That could never happen. And they read through the scriptures and mocking it all the way through. And they come to Jesus and his birth and his life and his miracles and his death and resurrection. And they go, there's no way that could be. And they mock it and they turn aside from it. And there's others of us who read that and going, I have a conviction of truth. And that's not the work of our intellect. And it's not the work because you're just a really good, smart person. And look at all those bad people around us. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And this church in Thessalonica, they were brand new Christians. They discovered the gospel. It came in word. It came in power. It also came because God worked through the Holy Spirit in their hearts and their lives. As a result of that, they were able to suffer through persecution with joy. So let's work backwards for just a moment. You may be suffering through persecution in your own life right now. Are you doing it with joy or are you just suffering and enduring through it? What are you convicted of with truth? It should drive us back to our Bibles, drive us back to knowing to live what is true. And the result of that is finally what we also discussed about last week. So I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but I'm going to give you some application for the next part, which is salvation. The salvation in Christ Jesus. Verses 3 and 4 of that passage says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. So when he prayed for them, he says, You've been given a wonderful gift. 
His three gifts they've been given, a work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of a hope with our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. God says, I've chosen you to give you the gift, a gift of faith, a gift of love, and a gift of hope. Sometimes it's helpful when we see words in the Bible, particularly words that we're familiar with. I think we're all somewhat familiar with the word love. We're familiar with the word hope or even with the word faith. So look at the the opposite. What's the opposite of faith and love and hope? We look at faith. The opposite of that will be fear. These people would naturally live in fear, but now because of Jesus Christ, they were living in faith. Next thing we see is that they had love. Now, the opposite of love, we often think of as the word hate. But as a person that does not know Christ as a Savior, I think a better word to use would be the word empty. Rather than being in living in the love of God, they were, would be living empty. And God comes along and replaces our emptiness with his love. And we also have the word hope. And the opposite of hope, we often think of, if you're not very, you know, Hopeless, I know. A better word would be the word despair. Maybe we see in your own life, we see in the world around us, your neighbors and your work colleagues living lives of despair. I got a phone call yesterday from a man who I don't know I'm going to meet with on Wednesday. And another one. I got one last week and I got one the week before and I got another one this weekend. I'm going to meet with a man. I don't know his story, but I do know he's living in despair right now. And I'm not going to listen to him and going, that's just too bad. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to introduce him to Jesus and the hope and the love and the faith that we can have through our life the opposite of each of those things. So God comes along and replaces our fear with faith. He replaces our emptiness with love, and he replaces our despair with his hope. Let me ask you the question today is, are you living in the joy of Jesus today? We're called as a local church to discover joy. I don't see in the scriptures anywhere where it gives us permission to be grumpy. Anywhere in the scriptures where it gives us permission to hate our community. And what we've been called to is to live in joy. You will, and you may be currently suffering through persecution because of your conviction of what is true. But let me go back and encourage you that you have the salvation of Jesus Christ. So turn that back around. Because of your salvation, now you're living in the truth. And as a result of that, when you suffer through persecution, you can do so with joy not because you're just suffering for doing what is wrong or punishment for doing what is wrong. Let's go back to that question that we asked last week as a way of conclusion this morning. Is God is calling, will you answer? And maybe God is calling you to salvation. You're yet to place your trust upon Christ as your Savior. Today can be that day. If you allow us, at the end of the service, we'd open up the Bible and show you out of the Bible how you can place your trust upon Christ as your Savior. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe God's calling you to suffer through some persecution. Let me encourage you, you can do so with joy. 
and you can discover joy in your life. 